Um, crazy weather, and I feel like I need to apologize for the weather just a little bit. Um, a couple days ago, I had my snow shovel, and I was going to go shovel a driveway, and I told everybody, I said, all right, guys, bye, I'm out, I'm out of here, I'm going to go shovel driveway, and my little girl Charlie said, okay, Daddy, don't forget to do all the streets too. Um, so if you didn't get out of your house in time, it's kind of my fault, I didn't get to your house, I'm sorry, your street. Um, do you have your Bibles with you? Let's go back to the book of First John. First uh, John chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 11, starting in verse 11 in just a moment. So go ahead and open, um, go ahead and open that up for us. God's Word is precious to us. Um, and as you continue to turn there, um, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, Thank you for meeting us. Father, thank you for giving us a church family. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Father, thank you that as the song we just sang, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. What a tremendously encouraging, what a tremendously confidence-building verse that we sang together. Father, every sin that we commit, Father, your mercy is more. When we sin again today and tonight and tomorrow, Father, every time we sin, your mercy increases, your grace increases. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, as we continue in the book of 1 John, Father, I pray that you grow our confidence in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, whose mercy is always more and more and more and more and more. Father, help us love each other well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Um, one, of the thing, one of the criticisms about Christianity, about churches, about Christians, if you talk to a non-Christian or if you invite somebody to church, you may or may not hear this statement. I'm not going to go there because, the, because churches are full of hypocrites. Did you say hypocrites? Have you ever heard that? Churches are filled with hypocrites. Now, uh, maybe that's a little exaggerated. As a pastor who knows you, I get a little defensive when I hear that. And, and here's what you say. If you know the person well enough, you could say this. You're absolutely right and you're talking to one. And we could use another hypocrite among us. Why don't you come join us? Right? That could, if, only if you know him well enough. Um, but is, is, that, is there any truth to that statement that the church is filled with hypocrites? Church is filled with sinners. Every church in America has a sinner for a pastor. So yeah, there's very much truth to that statement. Very much truth to that statement. And really the the, the idea, the, the problem is, Christians say you have found life-changing truth. But just like every other sinner, often Christians are tempted to say one thing and do another. So being a hypocrite means. It could be something like this. Christians are all bark and no bite. You know that about a dog, right? 
Those little yippy dogs. Yip, 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 yip. As soon as you approach, they, they stop. You know, all bark and no bite. Christians can say things like they, they, they say one thing and they do another. Or we're tempted to say things or, or live our lives this way. Do as I say, but not as I do. Do as I say, do as I say not as I do. If I jump into my time machine and go ahead 10 years, I could see my children saying those things about me. I just say, do what I say, not as I do. So yeah, it's probably overstated at times, but this has been a problem in churches for 2,000 years. Especially when it comes to loving one another and loving people. Loving the church. Been the case for 2,000 years. It's a, it's a constant temptation for sinners and for churches when it comes to loving each other. It's a constant temptation to be hypocrites, to say, Yes, Jesus has come and, and he has died for our sins and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't like that person sitting next to me in church. And the world rightly looks at that and they say, That does not match. And we see that. That's what's going on in the book of 1 John. We see hypocrisy of the grandest order. We see a group of people in the church that we find out are not believers, but they gather around the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're close to the gospel, even though they've rejected it in their hearts. They're close to it. And the gospel says, love one another as Jesus has loved you. But we see a group of Christians proclaiming false Christians, phony Christians, in the church, hating the believers. Casting off the believers. Abandoning the believers. Teaching false doctrine in the church. And so, in this letter, how do we grow in confidence of our salvation. How, do we, how can we approach God with confidence? One of the ways that we can grow in our confidence that we are truly saved is are we, is our walk matching our talk? Faithful followers of Jesus talk the talk when it comes to loving one another, and we walk the walk when it comes to loving one another. And so our focus verse, the verse that kind of all this rolls around. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to read the whole passage. So you could just sit on my words real quick. This, this is where we're going to be. This is the, the gravitational pull is going to be around this verse. He said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us not just talk the talk, but let us walk the walk when it comes to loving one another. So let's read this together. Let's read 1 John, big number 3, little number 11. Talk the talk, yes, but walk the walk. Love one another. It goes like this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil 
and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's not love each other in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That's pretty heavy stuff. Again, we come, we've come back to it often in this sermon series. My confidence in my salvation often balances on top of my relationship with you as my church. That's how God has designed this place. We grow in confidence the more we love each other. That's, that's how it works. That's, that's, that's what we have found. And so John wants to make this very clear. The first point today in this passage, first point in the sermon is this. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. He says, this is a message you've heard from the beginning. What does it mean? This is, not, this is not extra fluff. Loving your church, loving brothers and sisters in Christ is not extra. It's not just for pastors. It's not for veteran Christians. You've arrived at a certain level of maturity and then you start loving. But for the rest of us, we can gripe and complain and really hate each other in our hearts. No, it's from the beginning. You've heard this from the beginning that we must love one another. And do not love and just talk. Because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Love in deeds and in truth. So, here's some wisdom. Words are nice. You know the, the love languages? You know the love languages? There's, some of you feel loved when someone is serving you. That's fine. Some of you feel most loved when someone is giving you a gift. Some of you feel most loved when you hug somebody. A sense of touch is a big for you. Some of us, like me, our love language is words of affirmation. Is that, is that you? When somebody says, you did a good job. Or when somebody tells you, I love you, that, that builds you up. That's fine. Words are good. Words are good. But words are cheap. We know this. We know this to be true. We've, we live life. We know that people can come into our lives and say one thing. I love you. Sure, I love you. And then their actions don't back that up. Words are cheaply given. It's easy to give talk. It's worth very little to give talk. I don't... I'm not very vulnerable to give talk. I could say anything. I could tell you anything. It costs me nothing. What counts is actions 
that back up those words. That's what counts. And we know this. We've, as, as we said, we've experienced this from other people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've done this to people, haven't we? You could trust me. You could believe me. I, I love you. And then we know the heartache from looking back in that relationship and saying, man, my actions did not match my words. We know that heartbreak. And so, what we have for this poor church, trying to figure out what it means to be Christian, you know, one of the first churches on the planet, they're trying to figure out what, is that, what does that mean? And what, what, what it seems to have happened is this group of people have been in the church, they're phony Christians, but the church as a, as a whole didn't know that. They're phony Christians, and, and they're, they're, they say they love the church. We love you. We're one of you. We love you. But their actions obviously did not back up their words. We love you, but you're not Christians. You're, a bunch of, you're going to hell because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you believe that His blood needs to cover our sins. You're going to hell. They say those things. They, they leave the church. They leave the church after teaching, maybe teaching your children these false doctrines. They leave the church. That, that rips the church's heart open. And so John is trying to encourage this church. He's trying to knit their heart back together. And he's trying to say, hey, this is how non-believers act. He says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. That group is the world. They're not in the kingdom. He says, he says they have shown themselves to not be followers of Jesus. And one of the many ways that they've showed themselves in the last few months or last couple of years is they do not truly love you. They've said one thing and their actions have betrayed that. Actions, deeds, and truth are surefire evidence of truly loving the church. Actions, deeds, and truth are surefire evidence that we love our church family. Again, this just goes back, we know this, right? I mean, we could say we love the church. I could say I love you. And most of the time, that's e there's nothing that's going to reveal whether that's true or not. Most of the time, everything's going to be smooth sailing and you and I can be shoulder to shoulder and all smiles and be nice to one another. But what happens is when, things ha when the enemy doesn't want a church to be unified, when a church wants to do things for the kingdom, the enemy doesn't like it and all of a sudden rough stuff starts happening and then we get to ask this question, are our words or our actions going to match our words? Actions like helping and hospitality. We love the church. One of the ways to display that is, hey, come over to my house. Let's go to, let's go to Freddy's after lunch. Remember, I used to always go to Freddy's after, on Sunday. You remember? Because pastors used to eat free, and now they're, they're repressing me. Now I have to pay for my own hamburger on Sundays. Can you believe that? Everything's falling apart. Hospitality, right? That's what 
I want to build you up. I want to love you. I want to break bread with you. I want to be with you. That's actions. How about, how about this one? Really clear. Perseverance is actions that match words. Are you sticking with us? Right? That's like a really basic thing. If you're part of us, are you sticking with us? Are you around us? That's an action. I love you. If you love us, be with us. That's pretty, pretty easy. I know it's COVID stuff and there's online stuff. I know that, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about in a year and a half, perseverance clearly displays love for one another. Right? Paul says it this way, Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. There it is again, right? We are one family. Brotherly affection. He says it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. I always think about it like this, right? Opening the door. After you. No, after you. No, after you. No, I'll park over here. No, you get the best spot. You know, outdo one another. And but why? Because that reveals that we truly, that's an action that reveals true love for one another. Actions and deeds are surefire evidence of truly loving a church. And truth is surefire evidence that you love your church. We can go in two ways here. The lesser, do they tell us, do you love the church enough? Do you love me enough? Do we love one another enough to tell each other difficult truths? Like You've you got to be faithful to your spouse. You can't cheat on your husband or your wife. That's an un- that's an uncomfortable thing to have to talk about. And we don't blast them with a shotgun of it, right? We don't stand up and call people out, but are we willing to have those kind of difficult conversations with people? If we truly love them, and we see them doing something that is bad for the gospel or bad for their hearts and could reveal someone is in unrepentant sin which should make us concerned for their souls, we should be loving enough to have those kind of conversations with them. Truth, loving each other in truth. No, not just words, but deeds in truth. And what's the number one way we love each other with truth? The gospel. Are we preaching the gospel? If I'm adding to the gospel up here, I don't love you. If we're teaching our children something other than the gospel, I don't, they don't love you. And they don't love your children. And this group that has left and they've denied the gospel, they've been teaching false doctrine to this church. That is the number one way to hate someone. Don't just love in word. Love in action, deeds, and truth. And truth. So we cannot claim to really love the church if all we ever offer are words. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you offer, maybe I love the church. Maybe that's what comes, and maybe that's true, but the evidence of that are deeds and truth. 
So I say, I love you often. We say, we love you. I say that often in this place. My prayer, my hope is my actions match my words. And I surely hope my pulpit matches my words. And so then, words are cheap, talk is cheap, love in deeds and actions. So how do we truly love the brothers? Because it's a really interesting place. Instead of going right to this is how, he gets there, but he makes a pit stop and he talks about Cain. In the Old Testament, what does it look like to actively love our brothers and sisters, or actively love our church? He first says, don't be Cain. Remember this story? Verse 12, he says, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. There's something in there. That says, this group that left the church hates true Christians because they are righteous. So sometimes we're going to be hated because we are righteous. It says, don't be like Cain. So let, let me read to you Cain's story. You'll remember this, but let's get some of the, sometimes you forget the important details. This is Genesis 4. It goes like this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought forth the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is, to, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So why, John, why, why introduce this in your letter? Love the brothers. Love the brothers. Don't be like Cain, the key phrase in that whole Genesis story is this, am I my brother's keeper? It's a phrase of distance and apathy. That's a phrase that I don't care for him. 
I don't need to look after him. He's not my charge. And John, seeing the gospel, would answer Cain this way, am I my brother's keeper? Yes! You are your brother's keeper. Church, you are your brother's and sister's keepers. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be each other's keepers? Well, first of all, it's to know where your brother is. Where is Abel? God knew where he was. Where is Abel? It's to certainly know whether your brother or sister is alive. I think we bring it into the church alive physically and spiritually. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you're your brother's keeper. What would a keeper do? What does it mean to keep one another? Make sure they're healthy. Make sure they're joyful as best we can. We protect our brothers and sisters from physical and spiritual harm. That's what it means to be our keeper. So you, Christian, are surrounded by your brothers and sisters, right? Brothers and sisters. He goes through the whole, th- I mean, this whole passage. Brothers, brothers, love the brothers, love the brothers, care for the brothers, be the brother's keeper. How we love each other shows if we're saved or we love the brothers. Love, love each other, love each other, love each other. All throughout the New Testament. Love each other, love each other, love each other. So you're surrounded by brothers and sisters. You are their keeper and you are your church's keeper and they are your keepers. That's what this is designed to do. So what this is designed to be. God blesses his people in lots of different ways and, and the, the biggest, grandest funnel of God's blessing, he pours his blessings out, is to come through the church. Through the church. If we don't feel we are being spiritually blessed or physically taken care of, ask ourselves, are we keeping our brothers and sisters? Are they keeping us? So we are brothers and sisters. We are not adversaries. You ever been in a church business meeting where it seems like adversarial? It's this group versus this group. You ever feel that way? We're not on different teams. We're not two ships passing in the night. We're not joint attenders. We're not shareholders. We're not fellow country club members. We are brothers and sisters. That group that left that church, those phony Christians, were not loving their brothers. And they didn't love their brothers because they weren't truly brothers. They were not keeping their brothers because they weren't truly brothers. In fact, they hated their brothers. John says this, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Murder, again, we go back to Cain, right? He, he goes from Genesis in that field to a church sanctuary. And he says, to hate the brothers is to be Cain. Hatred equals murder. Where have we heard that before? Why is John so confident to say things like hatred equals murder? We might say, hey, wait a minute. Those those things are way different, John. Come on. Where has he heard that? He heard that from Jesus' mouth. 
Matthew 5, Jesus teaches. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. He said, yeah, I've heard that said. He said, but I tell you the truth. If you've ever lusted after anyone, you are an adulterer before God. He says, who's heard it said, do not murder? I've heard it said, do not murder. He said, I tell you the truth. If you ever hate someone, if you ever call someone a fool, you are a murderer before God. Do we need a Savior or what? Any other adulterous murderers in the room? We need a Savior. So John is, is, is all he's doing is, is mimicking what he's heard to G, about Jesus and then applying it to their current situation. No, those people are they're murdering you in their hearts. They're murdering you before God. And so don't be like Cain. We are our brother's keeper. Don't be like Cain. We don't take their life. We give our life. He says, everyone who hates his brother, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Don't be like Cain who took life. We're to be like Jesus who laid down our lives for the brothers. Why is murder the example of not loving our brother? Why does he go there? Isn't that just, isn't that just taking it to 11? Like, why can't you talk about stealing? Why murder? Murder is the ultimate example of an unloving act. And murder comes from a heart that says this, my desires and preferences are worth more than you are. That's what murder is. My desires and preferences are worth more than you are, so if you stand in the way of my desires and preferences, I'm going to kill you. And so murder says, I sacrifice you on the altar of my anger or lust or passion or greed or pride or on and on and on and on and on. And so if, that is the, if that's the underlying desire of, of murder, if that's what's going on in Cain's heart, pride and anger stored up, says, These, my feelings are worth more than my brother. If that's what it is, can that core characteristic apply to other attitudes and actions? So I think what Jesus is saying, I think what John is saying, I think what Cain can teach us is that any action, thought, or attitude that says someone made in the image of God should be sacrificed on my heart altar that comes from the same source as murder. Let me try to say it more clearly. Any action, thought, or attitude that says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to sacrifice something about you or you on my altar for my greed or anger or lust or power or whatever it is. Anything that says that is coming from the same source. So what I say, I'm going to gossip against you. That's not murder. That's not that big of a deal. To God, it comes from the same source. I'm going to sacrifice you and your reputation on the altar of my pride. 
or my anger. That's what gossip is. Judgmental attitudes that say, look at that person that came in the back door of the church. You see what they're wearing? Man, they must not be worth very much. What is that saying? Someone made in the image of God is sacrificed to my pride, my judgmental eyes. Critical spirits. Man, you sure just can't get anything right. Pride. Oh man, I'm glad I'm not one of them. Oh, they're not worth very much. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm like me. God, thank you that you didn't make me like them over there. What's that doing? It's taking this person. Their, their worth is gone. I'm going to sacrifice them on the altar of my own pride. And so these things do not, when you hate the brothers, and it comes back brothers, right? These things that we do are not from some stranger, which is bad enough, but it's brothers. It's people that Jesus has died for, spilled his blood for. My brothers and sisters here, they're God's family with me, and I murder them in my heart. And God hates stuff like that. Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to Him, and one of them is one who sows division among the brothers. So gossip is. So slander is. So critical spirit can be. All those things. So I think hatred... I think, I think what it shows is murder appears to be closer in our own hearts than we might think. So just like loving words are not good evidence of a loving heart, saying, I don't hate them, is not evidence that we are not, in fact, sacrificing them on our altar. And I think that's what we do as Christians, right? I think we... We, we have this mindset, if you've been a, especially people like me who have grown up in church, right? You know what to say and what not to say. I don't know if I'm supposed to say I hate anyone, so that'll never come from my mouth. But again, words are cheap. Well, I, I could try to convince myself or convince you that I, I'm just telling you this. I, I'm just telling you this. I'm, it's not gossip. I'm just telling you this because I, love, I really love them. Talk is cheap. So he says, we are not like Cain. We're not like Cain. You cannot be a believer and be like Cain. Hatred in our hearts for people should take away confidence in our salvation. And love for people, especially those that, that drive us crazy perhaps, that loving them in spite of that should grow our confidence. He says we are not like Cain. We can't be like Cain. You can't be like Cain and be a brother or sister because Cain was of the evil one. So he says, do not be Cain. And then he says this. He says, we're not like Cain. What did Cain do? Cain stole life. We don't steal life. We don't take life. What do we do? We give life. 
That's a sign of being a brother or sister in Christ, laying down our life for our brothers. We don't take them like Cain, we lay them down. And so in that group, in that couple of Cain and Abel, who are the brothers more like? We're Abel. But not just Abel. He doesn't say Abel, does he? He could have said Abel. He goes even beyond that, doesn't he? He says, by this we know what love is. He laid down his life for the brothers. So we are not Cain. Who are we more like? We are more like Jesus, who's the greater Abel. He's got a lot of connections to Abel, but he's the greater Abel. Think about this. We're not Abel whose life was just taken from him. We're like Jesus who willingly laid down his life. Are you with me? Jesus was not nailed to that cross begrudgingly. Or he wasn't fighting and kicking to try to stay off the cross. He willingly laid his life down. And John says, that's who we are. We're not even Abel. Abel did not willingly lay his life down. We're Jesus who willingly lays our life down for our church. We're not just like Abel. Abel was killed by his brothers. Jesus, by his brother Jesus, was killed by his brothers. We sing how deep the Father's love for us. We sing that often. And a line in there says, uh, Jesus on the cross, a line in there says, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the others. Right? Among the scoffers. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He took it on the cross. He hung there because of me. And if I were there 2,000 years ago, and I was a Roman soldier 2,000 years ago, I would have crucified him. He was killed for our good. Jesus died to make us brothers and sisters. And so, just as Jesus willingly laid his life down for the church, we are to lay our lives down for one another. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is evidence of being right with God through Jesus Christ. That means for, Amer for Americans... How blessed are we? What that means is preferences and desires and finances, right? That's like that's what we think about. When I don't get my way at church, I lay that down for the good of the brothers and sisters. And we've already talked about it, right? I don't lay it down and then go gossip about it or go complain about it. No, I lay that down. I lay my preferences down. I lay my life down. That's what we talk about. But in other countries, what, are the, what, what do they think about? I lay my life down for my church. What do our brothers and sisters in China think about? They think about their elders and their pastors who are in jail being tortured to try to give up names of their church. They lay their life down for the brothers. Isn't that amazing? It goes beyond this. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul tells us, I have all, Paul says, I have all these rights. As an apostle, he's not just a brother, he's an apostle. He says, I have all these rights, but I lay them down for the good of the gospel. 
I become like all men. Whatever they ask me to do, I lay my life down for them. So that some might be saved. And so, don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. We're, we're, we're not, be like Abel. We're not just Abel. We are like Jesus. Talk is cheap. Action. Don't be Cain. Don't be Cain. And what does action look like? What does it look like to love the church through deeds and not just words? He gives us an example here. Verse 17. Here, here's how. You want, you want to know how? Here's how. Here's, here's a way to do it. Verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Here's an example. You see someone who is in need, you fulfill that need. See someone who's, if someone in the church is starving, you imagine someone is starving and the church does nothing, God is furious. God is furious. See someone, if you, if you have the world's goods and sees a brother in need, yet you choose to close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So how do we do this? The first thing that we see in this little sentence that's so important is this. You got to know your church. You got to know your church. How am I going to know if you're starving if I don't know who you are? If I don't know anything about you? How do I know what you're struggling with if all I do is smile at you and say, hi, how are you doing today? And you say, fine. How am I going to know? That's why things like Sunday school and small groups, those are so important. Because your pastor, I don't get a letter from God saying what's going on in your life every, every week, and you don't get one for me. You got to know each other. You got to know each other. Church is more than sitting and listening around people, it's living life together, it's knowing people. We must know each other, and not on a superficial level, but know each other. And if you are hurting, if you are in need, please let us know. We need to know. Know your church. And know this. Know this principle. God often blesses you so you can bless your church. God often blesses you so that you can bless your church. Again, the biggest funnel God uses to bless His people comes through a church family. That's how He's designed it to be. So know that your job was given to you partly or maybe even majorly so you can bless the brothers and sisters. And you could support the work of the church. Think about your entire life like that. Your, your vehicle, your gifts and talents, your teaching ability, your strong back, your construction know-how, all those things come together. God has given you those things not for your own good, but for the good of others, particularly the church. And that's when a church works really well. When you get, you get guys like me who don't know anything about construction, can't, but can barely, barely knows what a hammer is, and then you got you, and you can do all these great things with all kinds of hammers and nails and whatever, and it's magic to me, and then all of a sudden we come together and we're a church family, and all of a sudden stuff gets done. So as man, don't, don't squander those things. And then finally, he says, don't be closed-hearted, so we must be open-hearted. Love your family by being open-hearted. Even saying that 
sounds like it's a Disney princess movie, right? And so some of us go, oh, I don't know. If be open-hearted. That means we must be vulnerable for, in one another, for one another. Be vulnerable. Open our heart for one another. That means we might get hurt. Be vulnerable. How do we love one another? Be empathetic. Open your heart to one another. Feel for one another. Put yourself in their shoes. When you have a disagreement with your brothers and sisters, put yourself in their shoes. How do they feel? Where are they coming from here? Be open-hearted. Be charitable. Not opening wallets. Be charitable, meaning assume the best of one another. Assume the best of one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need to have a skepticism about you until you prove otherwise. I need to be open-hearted and charitable. Assume the best of you. Assume the best of one another. And of course, if we're going to love each other like Jesus loved us, be merciful and be gracious. Be merciful and gracious. What does that mean? Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Are you with me? We have lots of these conversations with my kiddos. Mercy is when they deserve to be punished, but we don't punish them. They deserve to go to timeout. They deserve to not have dessert. But dad's a big softie, so he loves mercy, right? And we talk about that. What'd you do? Yeah. What do you deserve? Timeout, probably. But hey, we're not going to do that. We give you mercy like Jesus gave daddy mercy. And grace is the opposite. It's giving someone something they don't deserve. You don't deserve to be called son or daughter of most high God, but you are. What is that? That is grace. We must give each other the grace and the mercy that was given to us. So to grow in confidence before God, talk the talk about loving one another and walk the walk. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing together. And this is what I'd like, one of the things I'd like for you to do during this time. Ask yourself, are you loving your church in talk? Or are you loving your church in walk? Ask yourselves this, what has God given you? Talents? Goods? What has God given you that He may be calling you to give to your church, brothers and sisters? Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's time. Maybe you're just a good listener. There are people all around you that need someone just to, to listen to them. Maybe you're an older brother or sister. You're a veteran in the faith. Maybe you, God has given you maturity that you can take, someone, take, a, take a younger believer out to lunch, talk to him, disciple them. Maybe that's what God has given you. During this song, I pray that you ask God, what can I do to love my church family more?